Hi everyone, so we just finished interviewing Julie Turner, who is a hypnotherapist and a fellow biohacker. And we went over relationships, relationship to self, as parents, as partners, and we got to ask her questions around, you know, what are the best questions we can ask one another to help support each other's growth? Or what can we do on a daily basis to help support our own growth? And really looking at each other's individuality, which is so important when it comes to any relationship. Yeah, so as you tune in the podcast, you'll be prepared to learn some things about this optimal reprogramming state of the theta brainwave and how to, yeah, how to more eloquently and lovingly connect with your partner through uh, healthy conversations, healthy questioning. Uh, lots of great tools and tips on this podcast. It was fantastic. Uh, Julie Turner is a great friend of ours, and we've got a chance to get to know her over the last couple of years. And it's always uh, illuminating when we get a chance to speak to her on these topics. Yeah, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm here again with Dr. Sonia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So we're, we're going to be diving into all things connected to relationship, mental health, self-care, self-care, self-love, and we're talking to a dear friend of ours, Julie Turner. So I'm going to introduce Julie Turner uh, to you guys a little bit, and then we're going to get right into the conversation. So actually, we, we, I actually got a chance to meet Julie at a biohacking night. Uh, it's probably a couple of years ago, and it was so fun getting to connect within this community, but also Julie's got such an amazing energy. She's a natural networker, just constantly in this state of, you know, abundance and growth and mindset shifting. And uh, so anyways, let me tell you a little bit more about her through her bio. So her mission is to guide individuals to become the best version of themselves, help them align with their purpose, seeking supportive relationships and expect a positive outcome daily. Julie is an internationally recognized speaker and coach who maintains a thriving online practice. She has a unique style of coaching and flow. We were actually just talking about utilizing some of the intuitive uh, nature of, um, you know, uh, of, of being in community or being in, a, in a, a visit with someone and actually tapping more into your healing power versus just uh, the, the practice power of being a therapist. So, um, so she's a leader in the field. Uh, she regularly presents at events and conferences. In addition to being a certified hypnosis instructor, she is also the creator and host of the podcast, Real Talk with Julie Turner. So Julie, welcome to the show and let's have some real conversations. I love real conversations. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun to have you here. I want to talk a little bit about my first experience when I first met Julie. It was um, online and she was going to interview me for, I think it was a Facebook live and it was the day that both our boys were home and it was, I think in the beginning of COVID. So everything's really unsettling and my, you know, I'm trying to keep it all together and our youngest son just kept coming in and he was upset and it just, it was just chaos, but Julie was just so compassionate <laughs> throughout the whole thing. And it was just so nice that she, um, yeah, she helped me still feel comfortable, even though um, all that was going on in my environment. Mm -hmm. I remember that very clearly. And, and I love the, 
I love doing this game. Like this is what my version of meeting you was. And this is what your version of meeting me was. So I was a little bit daunted. I had met Dr. Nick before, but I had not met or spoken to yourself, Dr. Sonia. And I was, you know, I was a little bit daunted because I had seen some of your videos and like, she's so impressive and she's so amazing. And I loved the humanness and I loved watching you with your children because the relation, I talk about relationships all the time. One of my um, most, uh, my favorite relationships to work in is the parent child. Uh, most people don't even know that because I talk a lot about romantic. It's very, uh, it's it's what I get most questions about. But the parent-child relationship is is such an impactful one for both, but especially the child. And watching you with your children was was such an amazing gift to me. So thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're just really good at holding that space for somebody to feel comfortable to do what they need to do and express what they need to express. And I think that's what Nick was alluding to before uh, we were talking about how you, how you were able to hold space for a couple to navigate um, the, the core of what was driving them in their challenges in their relationship. So I guess the first um, question for me would be, one, what brought you into doing this work and why specifically do you love working with relationships? Uh, it's a long and winding road, actually. It's very interesting. There's so many facets, as there often is in any, um, you know, career choice. And especially because I didn't, I don't think I chose this career. I think it chose me. Uh, because I, at five years old, I was like, I'm going to be a hairstylist. And my family went, okay. And my thought process as a little girl was, I want to help people feel better. And when I comb my mom's hair, she feels better sometimes. Mm -hmm. She might argue that one, um, <laughs> not saying I was always good at it. So I did, I became a hairstylist and I did it in a very unique way. I actually chose to work with families in their home. So I go to their home after work, after school, and I would do the mom's hair and the kids and the dad and, and send everybody off in their own directions. And it didn't take very long before they kind of forgot that I was there. I became part of the furniture. And when that happened, I got to see the true dynamics of the family. And I, you know, had my own experience being in a family, um, a quite dysfunctional family for that matter, but aren't we all? And then I watched all these different families and I just, I could see the root. I could see it so easily in all these families. Like, why aren't you just communicating? Why aren't you just doing this? So of course I tried not to put in my two cents, uh, just kind of dispel the, the, the energy at the time. And I just started getting educated. I, I took all different courses, everything that interested me from literally from nutrition. Cause I truly believe that if we're not healthy, we're not happy. Um, so I took nutrition, I took coaching business and life. I took hypnotherapy. I took a counseling course all to just kind of figure out how I can help people feel happy. And that's kind of what led me to where I am now. I, I still love the understanding that we need our foundations being nutrition, sleep, and fitness, of course, a spiritual component. But if our relationships are faltering, then we're just not going to be healthy, happy people. So that's kind of what drove me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. One of our favorite conversations to have with people is really around how you're nourishing yourself with your food, because it becomes a reflection of how you nourish yourself with your relationship. So um, it sounds like, you know, you had some exposure to that earlier on as a hairdresser, just seeing that breakdown mm -hmm. in communication um, that happened, you know, in the lifestyle, but also in the home. So 
Uh, can you, yeah, I'd love to sort of be a fly on the wall in that experience for you a little bit uh, when you're a hairdresser. Like, where did you see some of the, did you see some typical behaviors that were showing up in families? And if so, like, what were, what were some of those? You know what, the biggest um, thing that I saw that, that in the families that I worked with was often um, children were pushing back. And the parents, instead of like sitting down calmly and finding out why the children were pushing back, they enforced discipline towards them. Mm-hmm. And, or they were trying to bribe them. That happened a lot as well. You know, and then they'd be like, I don't know why they won't clean the room. I've offered them this, this, and this. And like, well, have you tried asking them what they want? Have you tried asking them why they don't want to clean their room, what it means to them? And it was mind blowing to people. And as I said, I worked with the children as well. I was doing their hair. And they would sit down with me and sometimes mom and dad went off to do their own thing. And it was just me being somewhat of an adult uh, in the room. I always say, I I don't know who put me in charge of me. It was not the Mm -hmm. wisest idea, but I would talk to these children and I'd be like, so what's going on? Like, why do you not want to be here? Or why do you not want to do that? Because sometimes it was, they didn't want to get their hair cut. And these children would open up to me and it would be so simple this one, I remember this one boy and he like literally at one point, his parents tried to hold him down to get a haircut. And I said, I'm not cutting anyone's hair by force. That's just not, that's not acceptable to me. So they, I said, let me just talk to him. And I said, why do you not want your haircut? Like, is it, is it uncomfortable for you? Is it painful for you? Do you think it might be? What's the story going on here? And he said, I only have so much time to play my video games. And I know that they're going to take it away from me if I if I sit here for too long and I'm like, Oh, I said, so if we can guarantee you get as much time as you always would, would you sit quietly for haircut? And he's like, yes, brilliant. So that's what we did. I I called his parents and I'm like, Hey, can we guarantee that he's still so on? You get the picture, right? It's just Mm -hmm. literally asking questions instead of enforcing opinions you guys know this and I've written a a book. I haven't released it yet, but I I talk about how um, parents' job is not to form an individual. They already are an individual. It's to guide them so that they don't fall off the rails, but they already are an individual. We don't need to decide who they are and what they do in every incremental way. And I think there's no, there's no instruction manual. So parents don't understand that. And that's kind of why I love to work with that parent-child relationship because asking questions is like the biggest way to actually form a relationship. I love that because we're always trying to find different ways to communicate with our boys and just understanding them as individuals too. Because mm. I think often what happens when they're siblings, you assume what works for one should work for the other mm. one. And then you realize that's just fantasy. That's not how it actually works, no matter how hard you try. Mm -hmm. And what I would love to know is, um, in this lane, this relationship of parent child, do you have certain questions that you tell parents to ask? Or are there like, um, just starters of conversations that we can kind of bring in in our daily life with them to get them speaking more about themselves. So they're, they're feeling heard and, you know, I know each stage is going to be a little bit different. Like our oldest is now turning 10. So you can start to see these tendencies of wanting to be a bit more quiet and not share himself so much. And without like pushing too much on him and trying to pull stuff out of him, like how, how can one create an environment that feels like their child can just come to them and just speak freely? So are there some like tips where you can give us around that? 
when you first started asking this question, I'm like, I don't really give any specific questions, but mm. what I can say, the biggest tip that, that for any relationship is 100% honesty. So as you're sitting there with your 10 year old and you're like, Oh, I really want to ask him that say, I have so many questions I'd love to ask you. I just want to know more about you. Can I ask you a few questions? Right. And l- looking at them as again, an individual, not as your child or a child of any certain age, removing all labels. It's just a human to a human, a soul to a soul. You have questions. He has answers. Guarantee you he has questions. So if you are completely transparent, I was working with a dad and he's like, you know, it just terrifies me that he's doing this. And I I don't know why he's doing this. I'm like, well, tell him you're scared. And he's like, well, I can't tell him I'm scared. I'm like, yes, you can, because he's probably scared too. If you tell him you're scared, then when he is scared, he can come and tell you the same. And he's, he's like, I never thought of that. And it's, we, again, we, as, as adults even remove the parent label as adults, we're like, I have to be seen as a certain way. I have to be, I have to hold myself a certain way and be accountable in a certain way. And we need to remove all those labels every day and just wake up and be neutral. And it's like, how am I going, what am I going to employ today to have the best day? And yesterday it was maybe discipline and self-discipline. I'm talking not discipline towards anybody else, but self-discipline and optimism. And today it's self-care and curiosity. Why do you always have to be the same person? I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things you said before regarding the the little guy who was wanting to make sure he had the the video game time, and I just can't help but think of like you know, there's there's grown up conversations that happen like that where we make an evaluation about an experience, and we we linger in that evaluation of the experience before it actually happens. And I just think of like all the crazy rules we put on ourselves as a result of those internal <laughs> dialogues. And, I, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, because it, it, it was completely, you know, on the outside, kind of a ridiculous thing to, to linger and get stressed about. To him, it's, it was obviously his entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reality for the individual, especially with kids. But I mean, adults too, you know, what we're thinking about obsessively over and over again, where we're making these judgments and rules about our life, they become the biggest, most important thing. And sometimes, we just need someone to ask those right questions. So I, I love that you're bringing some attention to this. As for being children, um, there's two things, but what you said, you just said, so we have to remember that as a child, everything that's new is trauma. Everything. I, so I have so many adults come to me and they're like, I think I've had trauma in my childhood because I'm a hypnotherapist. Everybody has this expectation. I'm going to draw something horrific out of them. And the fact is, is that, Sometimes it's to an adult, it's not at all horrific, but it was horrific to you as a two-year-old. You carry the energy of how horrific it was, but not the awareness as an adult as to what the situation actually looked like, right? So we need to remember, we need to, we need to not assume that it's not a big deal to us. So it's not a big deal to our children because they have a different level of not a big deal. And we all do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, Sonia, Sonia. <laughs> She tells me about that all the time. <laughs> I'm just you laughing inside. Yeah. I feel like we've had so many conversations, Nick. 
they're they're relating to this completely different than your expectation. Yeah. Well, I always go I, back. I'm slow to, to learn. There was a moment when once we were in Costa Rica, and I think our three year old then oh, yeah. wasn't wanting to go swim in the ocean, and I couldn't understand why because there were really small waves, and the water there is really warm. And I'm like, what? And he are loves you so, the water. He loves the water. I'm like, what are you so worried about? And what it did is it went down to his level, and I looked at the wave that was coming, and I'm like, wow, that looks like a tsunami. So of right. course. I wouldn't want to go into that. Why would he want to go into that? So I think we have to remind ourselves in those moments, like this morning, our oldest, he's trying to learn. He has doesn't know how to tie his shoelace yet. And well, he's, he's almost he, 10. Yeah, he's, he's getting there. He's yeah. getting there. Yeah. But he wanted three knots. And one shoe only had two knots. And it was a big deal to him. And out of my mouth came out, it's not a big deal. And he goes, it is to me. I'm like, yes, you're right. It is to you. <laughs> so I love that you brought that up. And so I'm wondering when you're working with adults in their relations and how you help navigate adults, because now we've, you know, we've created identities, we've created patterns, we have our traumas and stories. So how does one help navigate that in a relationship so we can see the individual is moving through their own stuff as we are moving through our, our own stories? Oh, that that is a beautiful sentiment. It's funny because I was I was talking to a client yesterday, and she was telling me all her you know what was going on with her, and and, and this was a relationship, and she's like, okay, this I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and I said, hold on, just remember that this is there's another individual that's involved, and you've already assumed the answer to the first five things that you say, you can't make assumptions like that. You actually have to use your intuition and move through the conversation without preparation, just, just being, just being you being as authentic to you as possible. Um, you mentioned some rules and the rules that we set for ourselves. Every time somebody says the word rule, it's like, I get a stab in my eyeball and I have to call myself on them all the time. Just like just the other day, one of my friends said, well, we'll start first thing in the morning. I'm like, Julie doesn't start things first in the morning. She goes to the gym. That's what she does. Like back off of my morning routine, right? I'm like, ooh, that feels like a rule. Is it possible that you could not work out first thing in the morning? And it kind of, it hurt. I was like, mm. ah, but that's, but it, it's a rule. And it, and when we set up rules of any sort, we know that that can be detrimental in the future, right? And, and, you know, we, you said, uh, Dr. Sonia, about we already have identities and that's, true and sad to me all at the same time again we need to be able to wake up every morning and go no i'm not a perfectionist or uh you know whatever it is that you perceived that you were yesterday you need to like figure out what you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis and that sounds really overwhelming but the first thing i do is teach people what their intuition is where it lives in their body it's individual for each person and how to actually read it so that you're moving forward in the best possible way for you, because there's no rules in life. And the more rules we believe in, the less expansive our life is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just creates so much rigidity right, mm -hmm. in how we're moving through life. And we really need to be more flexible so we can be open to receiving the information that we need and also seeing other people with compassion, too, or else we have those expectations laid out on everyone. Yeah, you, you and I talk about this a lot too, just with regards to like, <laughs> Sonia has a tendency, as do I, of remembering challenges from the past mm -hmm. and then finding little moments where maybe there's a mirroring behavior and then poof, it's like magnetizes to the moment. And I think it's so fascinating how we all do this, you know, and 
I love this dialogue around seeing the other person as someone brand new and seeing yourself as someone brand new, because that is, that is a real powerful strategy, I think for life, yeah. because we're constantly, you know, making those internal rules, but also the assumptions based on previous results. So it's kind of like we're, we're constantly looking to our past to validate our present moment. And then we're having anxiety about our future mm-hmm. instead of just allowing yourself to be in this, you know, internal present experience. So on that note, what are some uh, tips or tools that are or strategy or um, maybe daily practice that, that you encourage people to implement in order to really anchor back into this moment and see that newness? Pay attention to when your mind um, says, if only, or um, if only, or what's the other one? What if? Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second there. If only or what if both of those, one of this, one is the future and one is the past. That's both taking you away from where you've been. The awareness that our thoughts may seem really important to us, but they're not. They are momentary things and they are actually brought to us, brought to us in part uh, by the huge library that we call a subconscious. So everything we've ever seen or heard is stored in our subconscious and our brilliant mind is like, oh, remember, here, you have this memory already. Here, we're going to apply this to this situation. And I, I heard a really cool exercise the other day that uh, I tried to do in a video and I, I brutalized it, but I'll try again. Um, what it was is whatever your thoughts are, like whatever they are, what good or bad, imagine that they are, that your hands are your thoughts. So you got a good thought over here and you got a bad thought over here. And, and the word bad is, is probably un- inappropriate, but a, a thought you like and a thought you don't like, you got them both here they are. And then put them closer to your face and closer to your face and cover your eyes. Now, how do you see the world through those thoughts, right? You can't, you cannot see the world through your thoughts. So you just have to come back to where we are right now and actually feel the world around us. And again, bring yourself back into your own body because most of the time we are like hovering above ourselves uh, and really feel, is my gut on board with this? How does that feel? Do I feel stressed? Do I feel anxious? And is that anxiety or is it excitement? As you guys know, feels the same in the body, your choice, right? So it's all these things to just stop buying into our own thoughts, be aware that that's what your brain's going to do. Say thank you and move forward. There's got to be something said for, and I love that exercise. I mean, just think about the lenses that we, you know, look through life with. Mm -hmm. And when they're so, when we're so focused on that, which we're, you know, perceiving to be true about ourselves, it's hard to see anything else. Um, But I want to speak a little bit uh, to that hypnotic space that you help people get into, because part of it is like, you know, this makes sense. So maybe on a superficial or like, cognitive level but there is magic absolutely that happens when we get into this you know delta wave programming or theta state in the brain Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit to that and why it's important to also use this as a tool to help clear some of these you know perceived beliefs about ourselves well for those that don't know what hypnosis is it is exactly that it's the theta brain wave and we are in states of hypnosis all day long, every day, it happens, you know, a really good example that I think everyone's experienced is that they're going on a a path, whether they're driving or walking, that they travel every day. 
And then all of a sudden they arrive at their destination. They're like, oh my goodness, I don't remember passing whatever it was, the 7-Eleven. And it's because you're completely in your own thoughts. Your body knows where you're going. Your conscious mind doesn't need to participate because you've got this, right? So that happens when we're driving, walking. That's a state of hypnosis, daydreaming, state of hypnosis. So as a hypnotherapist, it's my job to support you to be in that calm space so that you can actually see what your thoughts are. And you can, some people see them visibly, like they have a very clear picture of what their thoughts are. And I ask them questions because again, our subconscious holds like hundreds of thousands of things. There's a stat out there that says it's 750,000 thoughts. I don't know who counted that. I have a hard time <laughs> with just saying like that's true um, because I don't know, maybe mine's 800 and yours is like a million. I don't know. So anyways, how do we dig through all those thoughts when our conscious mind does one thing at a time? It's almost impossible. So having a guide, which could be an actual physical person, it could be an audio that you listen to, but knowing what you're looking for and, and applying the right techniques to find what you're looking for. And sometimes that's like, what is my, you know, what am I passionate about? Because we're like, well, I've been told I'm passionate about this because I was always good at it. But is that what I'm passionate about? You know, we, we should second guess ourselves as, as Buddha says, like question everything, including me. I love that sentiment. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'm right about anything, any day in particular. So I question, right? Hypnosis is a great way to answer those questions. It's guided meditation is a, a, a I, I would argue it's the same thing uh, as hypnosis. It's just a, a different label. Uh, there's, there's many different ways to achieve, but as long as you're achieving that slower brainwave so that you are in a very relaxed state, you move out of fight, out of fight and uh, fight or flight, and you can actually just embrace what your mind is, is giving you. Yeah. And there's so much healing in that space, right? When you mm -hmm. can move out of that fight or flight sympathetic and move into your parasympathetic, it not only helps the space of the mind and your lens from which you're um, seeing the world in, but also your physical body, like your hormones are going to shift, your digestion's going to shift, things are going to heal that maybe you thought were impossible to heal. Cause we also identify a lot of time with our diagnosis that we've received. So I think hypnosis right. is a beautiful way to tap into that relationship with these um, other energies that are happening in the physical body. Do you have any examples or any experience or any stories around some relationship between the physical body shifting when you've done some hypnosis work? I have probably a trillion stories. That's, that's not a it. real number for me. Um, <laughs> but I have many, many stories. So um, something that a lot of people don't know is one of the physical ailments that hypnosis is uh, really, really helpful with is IBS. And I, so I have a lot of clients that they don't come to me because they have arthritis or IBS or whatever, but they happen to have it. And over and over again, I get reports back that I, I feel so much better. Like they physically feel better when they're moving around in their day. Meanwhile, I was asking them questions about their relationship or whatever the case may be in hypnosis. And they're like, Oh, but my back feels so much better. And I, hmm. I love that. I, I have found this um, modality because my mom has always had a lot of pain in her life and I'll call her and she doesn't complain about the pain, but 
I'll hear her, you know, take those sharp intakes of breath or whatever the case may be. And I, I didn't even think about it for the first couple of years. And I'm like, mom, can I do some hypnosis, just some relaxation hypnosis and, and, you know, see how that goes on you. Like, let's just work together. And she's like, okay, but I don't know if I can do it today. And and she was, she was just in a lot of pain and I already knew that. So I literally relaxed her body because when, and I'm preaching to the choir here, but when we feel pain, we're more tense. When we're more tense, we feel more pain. And it's just this big circle, right? So I relaxed her and I, I knew I was going to put her to sleep. That was my intent. And she snores so I could hear. And I just hung up the phone and she called me hours later. And she's like, that is the best sleep I've had. I feel so much better. My, you know, I'm not hurting anymore and that kind of thing. Now she's, she's got a um, many, many ailments that are reoccurring. And I, I wish I had found this when I was a little girl brushing her hair, I could have spoken to her in an appropriate way to probably alleviate a lot of that. But um, she's, she just, it was such a gift to be able to support her in that moment. Yeah, I love that. And we're big believers in, you know, that um, relaxed state being a huge part of the healing of the physical body. And that goes for hormonal health and some of the work that I do with women too. Often when there's something going on in the reproductive organs, it's because of a past experience, Mm -hmm. a trauma, something um, that is off in their relationship with themselves or the world that's been buried deep in that subconscious. And when they start doing that work, that's when the body gets to relax and let go as well. So I'm a true believer in that connection between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think of like, even you, know, where you teach yoga as well. And, and part of the journey that people go through and say a challenging posture or, you know, breath suspension or some sort of breath of fire with, you know, a, a challenging like stretch pose or something like that. And it's, it's this cultivation of this feeling of stress or this, this trauma, like easy spoke to, right. And no doubt that's, a, a, it's the same template that we see in a lot of these, you know, energetic or hypnotic teaching modalities is allowing yourself to bring to the surface that which is challenging you and then find a way to find ease and joy and uh, peace in the experience to, to sort of dissolve the attachment that's, that it's um, creating within your, you know, your psychological mind, your emotional body, your physical body. And yeah, and the research is there. I mean, especially for hypnotherapy, there's a ton of research on mm-hmm. overcoming chronic pain and IBS. IBS is a big one. I don't know why they researched that one so well, but it was very clear that hypnosis has a powerful effect on the body. And it kind of goes back to that whole brain body that, you know, the, the brain communication to the physiology. And when, when we do get those, you know, switches turned on in the body um, and connected back to that emotional trauma, it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate uh, unveiling when, when we can release some of that. So, so let, let's, let's talk about that just a little bit more. So, um, you know, when we think of things being locked in the mind, uh, we often think the brain, so maybe there's some brain mm-hmm. circuits, but, but really the mind and the brain are, are two different things. So how I, I like to ask people how they interpret the two, because I always find that I, I learned some new things. Uh, it's it's funny that you asked that because I, I have um, a friend that I actually, I believe you know him as well. His name is Patrick um, and he, he works, he's the brain oh, yeah, butler. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
him and I have worked together a few times and I always say the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software. So the brain is the actual sticky thing in your head uh, that I may or may not know how to take care of efficiently, but the mind I'm very well aware of and uh, getting better with the brain as well. But that's more, more the, your field than mine for sure. You guys have a wonderful marriage of both, which is amazing to me. Um, there was something I was going to say, and I've, I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, I developed like a huge series of, of visualizations and I send them out to people, whether they're my clients or not. If they mention, because I'm on social media, of course, if they mention their challenge with something, I'm like, okay, maybe this is appropriate. Try this. They're under 10 minutes long and they're for all kinds of different things. And I sent one to this woman and it was all about um, sitting. It, it's Zazen to sit. Like it's just practicing, just sitting, not trying to compensate for any pain you feel, as you said, just sitting. Uh, so true meditation, right? Not listening to somebody guide you, just sitting. And I, I say like, just sit through, if you're uncomfortable, don't try and move, don't try and fix it, just feel it. And she said, she was very frightened to do that. She has a, a very bad back and she was very frightened to do that as to what might happen, but she forced herself to do it. And she said that she was shocked that it took about, she, her guess was 30 seconds. Um, but of course, eyes closed, who knows that she didn't feel the pain anymore at all. Like it actually went away. And the fact is, is that most of our pain is caused by fear. And it's caused by belief systems. And I'm not saying that we don't have real disease in this world, but there's so much of it that is us trying to run away from pain that causes the pain. And it's emotional pain, sometimes physical pain. But the more that we try and run away, and that's what our brain tells us to do, like you're experiencing sadness. You don't like sadness. Run away from sadness. Don't like, don't buy into that. But I truly believe that if we want to really be, um, happy, healthy individuals, we need to look into sadness, embrace sadness. Why am I feeling sadness? Get curious. I believe that's the difference. And this is my belief only. Um, the difference between surviving and thriving in life is getting curious about what we're experiencing, as opposed to trying to either ignore it or run away from it. Or control it, maybe mm -hmm. even controlling the experience. Yeah, I love what you said there. And um, it reminds me of that movie Inside Out, mm -hmm. that animation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that, so but um, you know, when happiness I have really one of the few, admit, but <laughs> yeah, that sadness is really important. And yeah. I think often we're just not um, we're not taught to look at grief or sadness or the polarities that we can hold together. But we're used to that. You know how you were saying, "Oh, bad." I don't want to use that word right. when you were describing it because like, it's either good or bad. When like that, that you know the light can't exist without the darkness and darkness right. wouldn't exist without the light. So it's all happening at once. So when you can hold it in a space of curiosity, like you were speaking to, we don't have to label it. We just know that this is a feeling that's happening right now and it's okay that we can move mm -hmm. through it. And I think the human brain wants us to survive. And when we're feeling sad or when there's pain, it's going to do whatever it can create whatever walls or habits or patterns to help us survive in that moment. So in relationship, when you see a tendency in a partner that maybe they're stuck in a cycle of survival, what are some tools that you're able to provide to the couple to help each other bring maybe when, you know, if one partner can notice that the other one is moving in that spiral, 
can, is there things that the partner can do to help support their partner move out of that rigidity or control? Definitely. And, you know, it's every couple is, is different. There's everybody's an individual, right? And then you bring two different people together and you've got a different combination of personalities and tolerances, right? And of course, some people are pretty aware of what's going on and they just don't know how to change it. And then other people are not at all aware and they've totally bought into their thought processes. So again, it it just depends, but honesty, honesty is so huge. And if, if you kind of set up, um, uh, rules of engagement, like, is it okay if I'm completely honest with you? And and knowing that honesty is not about being brutal. Honesty is about being um, is about being truthful and being supportive whenever possible. And also knowing that sometimes you're not going to be able to be supportive. And 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 that's you have to know that too. Sometimes that person is not going to be wanting to engage with you. There's no there's no cut and dry recipe for moving through issues in a relationship, but just even knowing that I can't tell you how many people are like, we're, we're doing this wrong. We're doing this wrong. I know we're doing this wrong because we keep arguing and it's like, okay, well, what does the argument look like? And how has that changed from what, how you argued six months ago? That in itself is growth, right? Are you, are you no longer calling each other names and, you know, berating each other. And now you're just like getting annoyed with with each other and walking away. And, and maybe it still doesn't feel good, but there's still growth. I, I, it's so interesting to me that we don't see our own growth. We don't notice our own changes, of course, because we're incrementally doing them and we're living in them, but often, often our partner will see it when we don't. Um, but again, having that that outside that accountability partner, whether it's a therapist, whether it's you know another couple that's also working through things, it's it's brilliant to have accountability partners for your own growth and make sure that you not only are aware to keep growing, but also that you're doing good. Yeah, I think it's so important to have guidance and, and support. And you know, there's just like there's no owner's manual for children. There's not necessarily the, you know, the relationship course to go through, um, you know, before getting married. And, and no doubt, I think a lot of people break down just because there are these lingering assumptions. We don't feel um, the space or the safety to, to be honest in a, in a real kind of way where we're not in blame. Like, I mm-hmm. honestly feel like you're being a jerk right now <laughs> versus like, I'm feeling hurt. Yes. This is why. Um, I would like to talk about it. You know, the, these kind of things. I think we can shift so much of how we speak to our partners and being super authentic with what we're feeling. You know, and and Sonia and I like are not perfect at this, but we we keep we do. I do feel like we keep practicing. Okay, let's just. How am I feeling right now? How can I articulate that in the the safest, most comfortable way for you to receive that information, as opposed to like, this is what you're doing. And it's really creating a problem for me versus like, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling pain. And I think, you know, from a a male dynamic, I'd love to hear the female side too, but of male dynamic, it's hard for me to say, or it was, I'm getting better at it, but it's hard for me to say that I feel pain or I feel, because there's a sense of inherent, well, you got to pick up your bootstraps, buddy. Like you, you shouldn't feel pain. You're a man, like be strong. Like, what do you mean you feel pain? 
And it's interesting because I think that that kind of just, you know, identity that we attach to what it means to be a strong man, strong woman gets in the way of our honesty. So I'd love to hear uh, the female side too. Did you want to start? No, you go for it. <laughs> I was going to say, I guarantee you'll hear the female version. I'm not sure that I'm qualified to have that stance, though, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, a piece of my story is that uh, I was raised, a lot of my time was spent with my father. And my father was very stoic and did not show emotions. I was like, he did not, there was no excitement. There was no anger there. He just did not show emotions but I was a very intuitive little girl and I felt his pain. I felt it. And I tried to, you know, compensate for that by, you know, making him dinner or do like, I would try and feed him. I would try and just stay out of his way some days, whatever, whatever I thought as a little girl made sense. But it's very interesting because men have been raised to, to, you know, not really show emotion as much. There's some brilliant books. I like want to like throw out a whole bunch of books right now. Um, but I won't, but one of the books that I will mention is, uh, the boy crisis. I don't know if you've read it or not. No. Um, it's, uh, Warren Farrell and, uh, what's the matter from Mars one? Oh, oh, yeah. Was yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. it Russell? No. Yeah, I know. Oh, what is his name? I can't think of it. Anyway, um, the boy crisis. Mm -hmm. And I picked it up because I'm like, yes, like men, I I think men in our day and age are kind of behind the eight ball, right? So because they don't know how they're supposed to act anymore. Their role Mm -hmm. has dramatically changed in society. Um, If they choose to embrace that, they don't have to, but you know, they, it has, it has changed in so many ways, but we haven't changed any of the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what well, I don't know. I'm, I'm supposed to do, am I still supposed to be the breadwinner? Am I still supposed to be the one that's logical and analytical and stoic? Or am I now supposed to be, you know, am I supposed to show my emotions to everybody? I don't know. I don't know. Cause sometimes it's convenient and sometimes it's not. So um, that, that book is, is brilliant and scary to me. Um, but it was, it was a really awesome read. And I actually, uh, my phone's ringing like crazy right now. And (laughs) so I'm like totally off, off topic, but, um, being able to show how you feel is an art that it not only needs to be developed by men, it also needs to be developed by women. So men kind of take the, the stoic stance often, and I don't know how I can show emotion. So I just won't. And women show, um, often, I'm generalizing because I don't, this isn't me often show dramatic emotion where, and then men are like, ah, I don't know. Hmm. Now I need to fix that. Now I need to fix that emotion. Hmm. How do I compensate for that emotion? So just being able to know as uh, like with our partners that we're safe and we always are. That's, that's the thing Hmm. that I like in closing of this statement often we are afraid. We're afraid to show our emotion. We're afraid to not show our emotion. And the fact is, is that it's all unfounded fear because the truth of the matter is your partner either is safe and it's all good or your partner is not safe and it's all good because maybe in the beginning of a relationship, you need to find these things out. Can I actually give these emotions freely 
And will my partner understand them? Or they may be not the right partner for me. Is there room for growth? Can we grow together and understand each other's emotions? There's, you know, it's again, there's no recipe, but I think both men and women need to um, understand their own emotions and be able to put them forward in a healthy way. Yeah, I was going to just say, I agree with all of that. I think there's lots of layers to that question. I was just going to say, I took up way more time than I expected. No, no, it was wonderful. (laughs) Because I... um, I do think men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We're just wired. Gray. Is it something gray? Yes, John Gray. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we have different ways that we function in the world. And I think mm-hmm. the more we understand about each other, the easier it gets. So, you know, when we're in a conversation, a woman may perceive or desire her partner to be more like a girlfriend and want to just bounce things off of him but their men aren't wired that way they hear a problem and they want to fix it and then that creates tension because the woman's like I don't want you to fix it I just want to be able to come here and verbal diarrhea whatever is going on for me and I think the more we understand those nuances about each other the easier it gets to navigate relationships so yeah I love everything that you said um it is a confusing time and we're raising two boys right so, oh right so it's interesting oh. for me to see that on like okay well how can I help support them in today's world and not label them as like oh because you're a male that you're supposed to be doing this but really how do they just find their own individuality when it comes time to be in a relationship well and we all know at least I think everybody here knows and hopefully everybody listening knows that we are, there's some of it that is nature, but a, but a, a large portion is nurture. So your nature doesn't tell you you're not allowed to have feelings because you have feelings. Your nurture does that, right? And it's not always by saying, don't show us your feelings, but it's by negating the feelings as we grow up, right? Like, and what we do with children is, is huge, but then what we do with adults can also be impactful. So as children, a lot of the time, the parents are not comfortable with the children's emotions. So they're like, you know, they, they negate them or they try like even just the waves, like it's, it's not, or the, the, the shoelaces, sorry, it's not a big deal. And it's like, no, he's there. His emotions are always a big deal. His emotions are always relevant. Right. And all of our emotions are always relevant in the moment. Uh, just, we don't need to buy into them, but yeah, we, we need to start at a very young age of not, um, not creating rules or boundaries around what is safe and what isn't, but it's, it's, um, it's accidentally done. And often with, you know, just out of the goodness of, of a parent's heart, they'll just be like, I just need to make this go away because we're both uncomfortable in this situation. So that's what I'm going to do. And it, again, it's, it, there's no fault. There's no blame. It just is just awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guilty. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I can't but think that, you know, in a perfect world, we would have all this extra time to go, okay, listen, let's break this down. Let's, let's have a chat. You know, in a perfect world, we are going to screw up sometimes and we're going to realize that next time we'll just have to do better or we'll have to mm-hmm. make time to really have that conversation. I think Sonia and I do a good job of, okay, well, we screwed that one up. Listen, you know, tell her, tell her boys, mom and dad don't, don't always have the right answers in the moment, but we definitely want to keep talking to you about. But now they use it to their advantage. They do. <laughs> You're treating me like a 16 year old when they're, when he's nine. Yeah. Um, I want to just dive a little bit deeper into like a, a typical dynamic. You know, we talked about male, female, um, 
there's a lot of men that are really, I think, struggling with their willingness to be open, their willingness to um, take responsibility. And, and I think it's typically, typically, again, making generalizations, but it's typically more women that are really wanting to create better connection and cohesiveness and communication and relationship, because it's, it's a little bit less natural for, for men in general. Um, so when you see this imbalance and it can happen both ways, obviously we're making generalizations here, mm-hmm. but how do you help the couples come into agreement um, of, of growth, of wanting to work on some things together when there is this lopsided nature to one recognizing growth and intimacy and connection and communication is really important where the other one is just kind of not quite there. Uh, I think that's a very common theme. It it is a very common theme, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily common uh, for one gender over the other. I find that it's uh, one partner over the other has more of an understanding and awareness what they want um, that, and that is what they want is more connection. But the problem is that we don't know what more connection means. Mm-hmm. So, and neither does your partner. Mm-hmm. So we need to actually know. It's funny. I teach a course called Dating 101. And uh, the reason I, I labeled it that is because it was the intention was to get people prepared to date and to enjoy dating. But within the course, part of one of the one of the weeks is all about what do you actually want in a relationship? And most people don't do that. They don't pay attention to what they actually want. And and that could be anything from, do they actually just want companionship? Do they want like a, 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 a romantic relationship? Do they want a companionship relationship? Do they want, like, is it curiosity and desire that propels them? Or is it safety that propels them? What What is propelling you to have more connection? We need to know those basic things before we ask for it. So people will throw out things like, I want them to be more committed to our relationship. Okay, well, what does commitment look like to you? Like, does commitment look like being home at four every day to have dinner together? Or does commitment mean having a conversation about our thoughts and wants and feelings? They're vastly different, right? So, and each partner comes to the table with an expectation of what a relationship should look like. And most of the time they don't efficiently and effectively share it. So therefore their, their, their partner is, um, they don't meet their expectations. Expectations are dangerous anyways, uh, but they don't meet their expectations and they thought they would because everything was in alignment when they met. And the fact is, is that you assumed a lot of alignment when you met because of something <laughs> triggered your past memories, your past belief system, something felt familiar. This is the person for me. It's amazing. Everything that they think I think, and we will go on and off into the sunset and live happily ever after. So it's actually knowing what does happily ever after look like? What do you actually want? And each person has to figure that out and then share. Can we, are you able to give this? So something that you said, uh, Dr. Sonia, about, you know, you talk to your girlfriend and she's like, oh yeah, tell me more, blah, blah, blah. And you talk to your husband and he's like, we'll do this. Well, why don't we do this? Well, I'll try and do this. Natural to men and women. The problem is, Again, this is how the male role, one of the major ways that the male role has changed in our society. And we're not even talking about, um, you know, like same sex relationships and stuff, because that brings a whole different dynamic into it. But we now expect this couple 
to give us everything a village gave us. Mm-hmm. We had all this extended family member. We had our churches. We had our we had all these things that would would give us different parts of our personality would feed us. And now we go home to this one single poor human who needs to do everything for us. So <laughs> if if I had to like give couples advice, I'd say belong to communities, belong, have good friends in your life as well. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be completely open with your partner, but don't have the expectation they're going to solve all your problems or that they're going to be able to understand you in every single dynamic. We're just too too individual for that to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love great. that. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that often, how important community is mm-hmm. and we we need that. And something I say, Nick doesn't totally love when I say this, but I think women as we grow older need women more than we need men because of that community aspect for that oxytocin and all the good hormones and whatnot. And we still need the our partners in our lives too. But I think when we have- It's like, yay, yeah. <laughs> I get to oh, stay. So right? okay, so, so yeah, but I do think that village thing is huge for so many it different is. things and not just this relationship or our relationship to ourselves. because um, when we feel held by a community, it's a very different thing than having to navigate life on your own. So you, when you feel yeah. like you belong and that's what we're all looking for. So. Yeah, especially yes. when we're talking about some of the stuff we referred to earlier, that, that relationship dynamic where we're constantly keeping people in the past and, and then that becomes the, the regular orientation. And sometimes we need to be reflected to our community of like, wow, you're really an incredible human, you know, because maybe we're not getting that reflection in that in that more intimate setting. And so, yeah, I love that you spoke to the village. That's, that's one of Sonia's favorite words to, to speak to about, mm-hmm. you know, whether, whether it be raising life. kids or yeah, just life in general. So yeah. I love that you said that. So Julie, where can people find you? And if they want to do your dating 101 course, um, how can they have access to that and all the things that you offer? I keep things very simple. It's julieturner.ca and I have a brilliant new website. I'm super grateful to Darcy at Outside the Box um, because he put everything on my website. So you can Mm -hmm. find my courses, you can find my podcast, my videos, everything, julieturner.ca. And I just, I'm so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, so great. It makes it convenient for everybody. That's, yes. that's yes. awesome. <laughs> yeah, nice and simple. So the last question I'd like to ask you um, is if today was your last day here on earth in your physical form, what is the imprint that you'd like to leave for the generations to come? Oh my goodness. Um, I would, uh, that's a, that's a tough one and an easy one all at the same time. Cause immediately I'm like, I would definitely do a live broadcast and have no filter, um, <laughs> at all, no filter whatsoever. Awesome. Cause I'm always mildly filtered, strategically filtered. Um, but it wouldn't be, there'd be nothing negative. I, I, I am so passionate about our society changing into a prevention society instead of a crisis society. That's something that drives me every single day. And, you know, that would probably be my messaging. I don't have any, you know, specific thing that I want to do. I might eat cheesecake, Um, but (laughs) a lot of cheesecake. But other than that, I would just really try and talk to as many people about preventative um, medicine when it comes to the mind, body, and soul, as opposed to, waiting till you're in pain to, to reach out. 
I love that. I love that you brought cheesecake into that that discussion. <laughs> that moment, yeah, that yeah. moment. Like I can just picturing you like shoveling cheesecake in your mouth while you're telling while you're doing a broadcast. as I do a video. Yes. <laughs> yeah. About preventative medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what say I'm doing. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. That's the perfect balance of like yeah. bliss and joy and yeah. and and being in love with with food and your body and 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 but also having a really important message to share. So yeah. I thought, I thought right. that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah thank you yeah yeah th julie thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and your insight and for those of you tuning in it's julieturner.ca check out the podcast real talk as well um sonny's been on it I, I i've been on a different version of your podcast but it's um, still there it's, it's still, still there, on the yeah. same yeah it's still on the yeah. same one amazing dialogue and like we said since the moment we've got a chance to meet you it's always been like you know abundance and flow and connection and and there's you know there's projects that we're working on together as well which we're really excited about so we're um yeah we're just really grateful to you julie for being in our lives and and for sharing all that you do thank you so thank much you. i i definitely um echo that sentiment for sure super grateful to be here and uh to have met you guys we hope you enjoyed this episode of the health ignited podcast be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.